Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's November the 9th. It's the PFT PM Podcast. And here we go. Plenty of things happening in the National Football League. How about this, just in? The Patriots have claimed tight end Martellus Bennett. Shocker. We suggested that earlier today at ProFootballTalk.com, PFT Live. Had a little video about it. It makes sense. The current number two tight end of the New England Patriots is Dwayne Allen. He has a total of zero catches on the year. Remember Tom Brady went to him the first play from scrimmage in the first regular season game. Allen was wide open. Brady missed him. Zero catches for Dwayne Allen. And now Martellus Bennett, who did well as the number one tight end after Rob Gronkowski got injured. Martellus Bennett, just like LeGarrette Blunt a few years ago, when he was dumped in season by the Steelers and went to New England and won a Super Bowl and stayed there for another Super Bowl, now Martellus Bennett comes back. So that really isn't surprising. What is surprising is that they claimed his contract. That's a little surprising. There aren't many teams behind them in the waiver priority because they're 6-2. and two. They step in the shoes now of the Green Bay Packers. Now, the Packers paid out the signing bonus. And I don't know if mechanically the Packers are going to be able to recover bonus money since they waived him and someone else claimed the contract. You know, they suggested that there was failure to report a shoulder injury. I, I, I think that may go out the window. And when you look at it right now, you've got a per-game roster bonus of $37,500. you have got a base salary of $900,000. we are halfway through the season. They're getting him for about four hundred grand for the rest of the year. And then they can decide after the season what to do. He's got a $3.5 million salary in 2018, $5.65 million in 2019. And they can just keep him for the rest of the year. Costs 100 bucks to do the waiver transaction. The Packers have paid the $2.1 million per year signing bonus, $6.3 million total. They paid the $600,000. Well, it's a per-game roster bonus, so they've paid seven installments of it. So it's about $400,000 plus $37,500 a game. And, you know, he's got to pass his physical, but we'll see how big of a deal the shoulder injury is. If he passes the physical, that means the shoulder injury is nothing. That means that was just a way for the Packers to save face when they moved on from the guy. I think he didn't want to be there the moment Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone. And I think he may have agitated. This is just speculation. He may have agitated a little bit internally. And he got what he wanted. He's out. The Packers get nothing in return. They should have tried to trade him to the Patriots. And now the Patriots have him back. Another weapon for Tom Brady. The rich get richer yet again. 
That's not true today in Dallas. That had been the big news, and it's still the big news. It's bigger news, but the Martellus Bennett thing, boom, just happened as soon as we started this end of day, and that's the purpose, to give you something you can listen to at the end of the day with all the latest news. The latest news from Dallas comes by way of New York City. Second Circuit Court of Appeals convened. Step two in the effort by Ezekiel Elliott to ensure that his suspension will not start until the litigation regarding the validity of the suspension has ended and Elliott loses. He will miss, barring a complete and total Hail Mary throw to the U.S. Supreme Court. And Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the Supreme Court justice who is assigned to the Second Circuit for emergency matters. And I don't know. I'd have to research this. How do you make this fit? How do you get this done? Tomorrow is Veterans Day, so good luck getting the attention of anyone before Sunday. But Ezekiel Elliott, if the harm is irreparable, doesn't matter. He's going to miss the game against the Atlanta Falcons. And look, I think he should be allowed to play. My personal belief is you can always suspend him later. The NFL needs to respect the rights of its players to seek external appeal of the decisions made internally by the league. If you have basic respect for your players as men, you let them exhaust their external rights. You can always suspend him later. And I think it's wrong of the NFL to do it. But they don't care what I think. They don't care what anyone thinks. They should care. Because I feel like years of strident, almost arrogant approach to players, partners, some in the media, the chickens may be coming home to roost for the NFL. And I don't take any pleasure in that because I have a vested interest in the ongoing success of the NFL. But I think they're handling this wrong. They've handled it wrong. They should give Ezekiel Elliott the opportunity to exhaust all avenues before suspending him. And there's still one little twist, one little tweak, one little nagging issue that has yet to be raised by Elliot's people. Remember the question of the district court judge and the fact that she's married to a lawyer from the Proskauer Rose firm, and that's the firm that helped the NFL with the lockout strategy and implementation with the collective bargaining agreement negotiations. Bob Batterman, lockout Bob. That was 2011. The end result was the very document that becomes the basis for Elliot's suspension and the internal appeal, and the external scrutiny of his suspension. And the judge had disclosed on her judicial nomination form that if Proskauer Rose is representing a party, I will recuse myself. Well, even though Proskauer Rose wasn't representing the NFL in this case, it's close enough to the fire to suggest that maybe, maybe the judge should step aside. And everyone has been very tight-lipped. I've tried to find out, what do you plan to do about this? What do you plan to do? How do you plan to proceed? And I can't get anyone to say anything on or off the record. Nothing. So who knows what's going to happen going forward? Who knows what the Elliott camp will do? I'm getting some indication that they're not going to do anything further other than await the appeal. And that's the one thing that we still need to resolve here. Because the order says at the very bottom, 
Pursuant to federal rule of appellate procedure number two, this appeal shall be heard on an expedited basis. The clerk of the court is directed to set an expedited schedule and set this appeal for the next available calendar. Now, I don't know what that means. We've called the clerk's office and they've suggested that February is the next available calendar. And that apparently factors in the submission of briefs because you can't just show up on Monday. That That is the next argument calendar for the court. But they've already got their cases set for Monday, the 13th of November. And then on the 14th of November, they have an argument calendar at 10. They have their arguments set. The 15th, another argument calendar. I'm looking at their calendar. I'm clicking the days. It shows the days they have court. But the thing is, they've already got other cases, other litigants. And, you know, as I've said many times, the judges are not paid by the case. Judges are not paid by the hour. Judges are not paid anything but a salary. So they've got no incentive to go above and beyond unless they truly believe that the situation calls for it. And if the judges of the Second Circuit believed it, they just would have said, all right, we'll press pause on this suspension. Let Elliot play while we figure it all out, which is really what they should have done. And remember the point that two of the three judges were nominated by Republican presidents and one was nominated by a Democratic president and Republican presidents. The Republican philosophy is more pro-business. The judicial philosophy, pro-business, Democratic presidents, Democratic party, the judicial philosophy is pro-employee. Two to one. Elliot loses. I thought that maybe they would get past that in this case because it was a matter of basic fairness. Because let's just let's just freeze everything while we sort this out. Didn't happen. So Elliot, barring an absolute and total miracle, will not be playing on Sunday for the Falcons. And it, there's a chance that by the time this expedited appeal is resolved, the season may be over for the Dallas Cowboys. And which means he'll be suspended the six games, and he'll be back. Which I guess is better than having the six-game suspension start in the middle of December because now he's going to miss six games, and then at some point he will indeed return because they have more than six games left. Let's, let's look at this right now before we move on to the next topic. We have at Atlanta, Game 1, Philadelphia, Sunday Night Football. Good news for the Eagles is Game 2. Game 3, Thanksgiving. That's not good for anybody. Game four, the following Thursday night, Color Rush, Washington at Dallas. That's good news for Washington. Game five at the Giants. Good news. Well, there is no good news for the Giants. Game six at Oakland. That's another Sunday night game. And then he comes back week 16 for a visit from the Seahawks and week 17, a trip to the Eagles and available for the postseason if they can hold it together long enough to make it to the postseason. So that's where we are. That's where it stands. And uh, the Cowboys will move forward without Ezekiel Elliott. Now, that is only going to give owner Jerry Jones more reason to be upset, more reason to be determined to get more out of this effort to block the Roger Goodell extension. And 
I don't know what else Jerry Jones can do. Maybe this makes him more determined to file a lawsuit. We still don't know what the basis for the lawsuit is going to be. You can't just go to court and say, I sue that person because I don't like what they're doing. There has to be some standard that has been breached. And I guess at this point, look, the NFL made the uh, very strong observation today, and this is something we reported a week and a half ago, that the NFL determined, the, the owners determined back in May by a 32 to nothing vote that the compensation committee had the authority to enter into a five-year contract extension with Roger Goodell. The vote was unanimous. Jerry Jones spoke in favor of it. They cast the ballots, and now they move forward. And I don't know how you undo that now. There's no way to undo that. They've already done the vote. So unless Jones can argue that the compensation committee is in some way violating its mandate, or there's some other violation of the Constitution and bylaws, I I think that it is a scare tactic. I think he's huffing and puffing. And you can still try to blow the house down, but fail. You know, maybe you feel like now that this is out there, you've got to follow through, even if it's a frivolous lawsuit. And even if you may have to pay all the legal fees incurred by the NFL and its various owners, which could get very expensive very quickly. I, I, uh, I don't think that we're going to see litigation, but I don't think Jerry Jones is going to stop. And the question becomes, can Jerry Jones marshal enough support to blow this thing up? Very steep uphill climb. He's got maybe four or five who are with him. You need 23 to sign on to stop this. Because at this point, it's going to take two-thirds of the owners to undo what's already been done. And what's been done is authorization to the Compensation Committee to do this contract. Not to try. Not to do something subject to ownership approval later. But to enter into and finalize a contract within the parameters that they've been authorized. So we'll see what happens. And how awkward this is for the NFL. They don't like having their dirty laundry out there. I mean, however it plays out, Jerry Jones is not the favorite owner right now. And they already were resenting his effort to throw his weight around. And he calls himself the ranking owner. And a lot of the owners don't like that. And he gets on conference calls and he, he talks and talks and talks. Seth Wickersham of ESPN, the magazine was on PFT live today. And he said that, that Jones had a conference call a couple of weeks ago and people actually hung up, hung up on uh, Jones while he was prattling on during the, during the conference call. So uh, that's, uh, that's kind of where it is right now. And um, we'll see how it all plays out. It will most likely continue to provide entertainment for us in the media, even though it's not the kind of entertainment we should want. We should want everything to be normal and under control and the NFL to uh, handle its business in a positive way. And and we hear the NFL say all the time they want to get back to football. This is an area where you definitely would like to get back to football. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get back to football with an interview with Sean Payton, the Saints head coach. And then after that, I'm going to answer some of your questions and we'll wrap up this Thursday edition. We don't always do Thursdays. We did one today in large part because we have a conversation with Sean Payton. After that, we'll answer some questions. After that, we'll cut you loose to go enjoy Thursday night football. As promised now, he's the head coach of the 6-2 New Orleans Saints, and they are riding a six-game winning streak. We welcome in Coach Sean Payton. Coach, how surprised are you that this team has rattled off six straight wins? Well, we're kind of in that business where we're, we're never looking too far out. And I look, 
with the 0-2 start, the next two games were at Carolina and then London for the Dolphin game. And I think you didn't have to be a genius to know that those were going to be two, two important weeks away. You know, we're, we're gonna, we were going to have to make some, you know, turn the, turn the things around, get things going in the right direction. Defensively, we were able to do that. We got some takeaways at Carolina. Uh, we played a solid game there against a good team, a division team. And then right from Charlotte after the game, we flew to London and prepared over there for a week and, and got ready to play Miami. And, and in that game, was a little different, lower scoring, and, and yet we did enough to win that game. And I, I think, you know, confidence in general is born from, you know, proving you could do it on the field. It's it's past performance. And, and so we began to build some confidence. I think defensively um, we were much better giveaway, takeaway. You know, we were protecting the ball. And, and I think getting those two wins uh, obviously, you know, build a little momentum. And, and then – you know, all of a sudden you get going and any, any decent team we've been a part of here or any team for that matter, if you look last year's playoffs teams that, you know, it's not win one or two, lose one, you know, there's a stretch where you win some games and you're always hopeful that you can, you know, put one of those together and, and we're in one now, we got to keep it going. We're, we're going to play a, a tough Buffalo team on the road, which, which makes it very difficult. Um, but you get you get going and the weeks start running together a little bit. Hey, Coach, sometimes when a team has the kind of stretch that your team has had, there's one finite moment that you can point to and say that's where the switch flipped, that's where it happened. Is there a, a finite, discrete moment, a play, something where you can point to and say that was the catalyst for what we've now enjoyed? I I think not because it was our first win, but I think the game in Charlotte against Carolina, because we knew that we were playing a good team and, and that's with all, all due respect to Carolina. In other words, they've been a team that has been at the top of the division, near the top of the division, two years from the Super Bowl, and playing them at their place, which is always difficult. That win uh, and the way we played, uh, I think, you know, began the process. We did some things defensively that were a little different offensively. You know, we ran the ball against a real good rush defense. And, and I think that that game put us at one and two, but more importantly, it was a quality win. You know, the Buffalo Bills have had a better than expected year, and they lost their most recent game. And afterward, running back LaShawn McCoy said, when we were doubted, we had a chip on our shoulder. And then when we were praised, we maybe lost sight of what we needed to do. How do you help your team avoid getting caught up in the success, taking it for granted, not doing all the things that need to be done to keep the wins going? Well, look, it's a great question. And it happens to any team in our league, for that matter, any team in sport, especially um, with the amount of media that cover our game. I mean, just the, the request list, you know, when you're two and one or one and two or two and two, but now having one, you know, six in a, six in a row, I mean, everyone who covers the game wants to do a feature, a story. And so I, I think, you know, staying on schedule, just reminding them of the process and, and look, uh, I think we've got good leadership. We're young. Uh, we've got a lot of young players, a lot of rookies that are starting, but I think paying attention to the work week and then, and then talking about it, like, look, there's going to be, it's going to continue. You're, you know, that, that's, that's something that comes with it. And, 
it sure beats the alternative. When did you know that rookie running back Alvin Kamara was going to be as good as he's turned out to be? Well, we felt in the draft process after our, our workout up at Tennessee, uh, we went up, they had about, shoot, eight or nine, ten draft prospects, and we spent an evening with a, with many of them having dinner and the next day working a lot of these guys out. Um, I think we had a vision for the player, certainly after that day. The thing we didn't know was, you know, what kind of runner he was going to be because we saw evidence of it, but he was splitting carries there. And when he came here and got into training camp with the pads, you started seeing just his foot speed and his, his balance. And he's really been a good addition. He and Mark, uh, that all of that has really worked out well. You have Alvin Kamara and a lot of other great young rookies in large part because of the work of Jeff Ireland. I saw you recently praised him, but I want to give you a chance to elaborate that on, on that a little bit because he really has done a great job since joining the team of identifying that young nucleus that every team needs to have to build and grow. Uh, just, just tell us more about what Jeff Ireland has done to help you load up the roster with guys who are helping you now win games. Well, look, the, the significance of our draft as, as, as we acquire young players that are going to be in the building and play for us uh, for a while is, is you can find a player in free agency. You can build or fill some holes, but um, it's the lifeblood of, of, of the team. And, you know, we went through that stretch. After 12, we lost some picks in 13. And when Jeff came, you know, it was – we were together in Dallas, and so philosophically with regards to measurables, with regards to typing, uh, a handful of things, uh, but a clear vision for each position. And, you know, with with his arrival, there were some new scouts. Uh, our group has done a great job. And the vision as we've looked at each position and, and, and really talking about the, the challenge for us isn't the – the, the visible skill set on film, it's the makeup, the toughness, how smart, how quick does he learn? Uh, is, you know, is it, is he a fit in this locker room? All those other things that sometimes it's hard, it's hard for even the area scout to get. And I think that, um, boy, we've really reduced what's on the board as opposed to, you know, having 400 names on a draft board or 300. It's, it's, it's been greatly reduced to where we're looking at, you know, 125, 135 magnets and, and really focusing more on who we're getting as opposed to who we might not get. You know, and it's not just acquiring draft picks, it's using free agency. And you had a high-profile free agent in Adrian Peterson. It ultimately didn't work out, but I think in the aftermath of the trade, it's worked out for both teams, both you, the Cardinals, and also for the player. But looking back on that entire experience, what's the number one thing you learned from the time with Adrian Peterson? Listen, he's he was he was fantastic here, and there's not one thing we'd do differently. Uh, our relationship is great. Um you know, the unique thing about our game relative to the NBA is the free agency period comes before the draft. And it's a position that we we value and we, we certainly understand the significance of helping our defense, but you can you can do that by improving your running game. And uh, we just didn't at the time know 
there was going to be a Camara and how, you know what kind of runner he was going to be, and then all of a sudden three players now was becoming challenging. Um, he and I would talk weekly, and, and if, if the opportunity came with another club, and I told him this, look, I'm not going to you know hold you back from any of those opportunities if they arise. And uh, the one at Arizona I thought was a great fit, and the timing of it worked out, but but that's that's a good problem to have and. Look, it, it it ended up working out for for both teams, but I'm I'm a huge fan, and and uh, and just that time being around him, watching him work in the off season. I mean, this this he loves preparing and training, and he's in fantastic shape. You can see he still has the skill set to play at this level and play exceptionally well. On Sunday, we saw the altercation along the Tampa Bay sideline that resulted in Marshawn Lattimore getting blindsided by Mike Evans. We saw your reaction. You were justifiably very upset. Evans wasn't ejected at the time. He's since been suspended for a week. But I I feel like the officiating crews are all over the map on whether and to what extent they're willing to actually eject during a game, and, and that seems to cry out for a centralized solution. We have it for replay review. Shouldn't the league office be determining with the benefit of the camera angles when someone has engaged in something that requires them to be sent to the showers, and then the decision just comes from there, not from the officials who are on the field and may have missed the thing that justifies the ejection? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it certainly will be something that's discussed. I, I think uh, – the more and more we can reduce, believe it or not, what we're asking from the officials, the 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 more efficient you'll see in, in their operations. I think they've got the toughest job on Sundays with how fast the game is, uh, how specific some of these uh, rules are. And uh, I think that uh, constantly looking at ways to actually reduce um, their role Um I would say this, though, and, and I'm, I credit Mike and Jameis both. Both, uh, I thought, this week handled it in a first-class way uh, with just a, a sincere apology. And, I, and I, look, it, it was one of those unfortunate mistakes where, you know, there's frustration, and uh, fortunately no one was hurt. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we came out of it uh, – with no injuries, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mike, to your point that there wouldn't be a way of looking at something because there's 50 shades here all the time. I mean, how often do we come back after a weekend and say, well, this happened and this didn't, but this happened in this game and it did. And I think we're all working, I think closely as coaches with the league office, we're working closely to as best we can with the 17 crews, try to see things, uh, you know, the, the way we see them. And I look, I see down the road, you know, certain levels for violations where we might see something on a game day and know that'll be a level two or a level three, you know, with level one being maybe a uniform or a uh, celebration offense. Does that make sense? And in where you almost would know immediately what the expectation would be, whether it's fine or penalty. I think that's one of the problems now, because when it happens, we're all left to sit back and wonder what happens on Monday, what happens on Tuesday, what do we find out on Friday, because it maybe isn't as clear, especially when it comes to ejections and suspensions as to what's going to happen. And I mentioned that the league office currently has that pipeline that's used for replay review. You recently benefited from a questionable call 
involving the Chicago Bears and what looked to be a touchdown reception by Zach Miller. And I know that coaches are limited in what they can say about these calls, but my question for you deals more now with understanding the process and factoring that into your use of the red flag. Because when we see calls that maybe maybe suggest a shifting of the standard or maybe an inconsistency into what the rulings are or should be, does that does that make you more willing to consider throwing that red flag? Because, you know, maybe maybe you get lucky and maybe there's a mistake that's made somewhere in the process and you get a, a ruling overturned that otherwise shouldn't be. Well, I think, look, the, the one benefit right now is that any turnover or scoring play is handled immediately uh, in New York rather than through, through a challenge. And, and so then... Uh, look, I'll be fairly liberal with the challenge flag. Granted, in the first half, it's a timeout. In the second half, you don't want to lose a timeout. But I think that uh, I found myself at times with the flag in hand thinking, well, what's the benefit here? You know, the six-yard spot or, uh, you know, so it's when there's that third down conversion that otherwise they'd be punting. Now that's a possession. And so – you know, the challenge always is the information you get quickly at home games. You try to get to where they're putting the replay up and you're, you know, you're getting pressed because the offense is at the ball right away, getting ready to run a play. Um, so a lot of it has to do with what was the impact of the play that, that we're, we're looking at. And uh, at times I'll pass on it. If I just feel like the, the yardage is minimal. Um, if it's a turnover and it was ruled down, but you, you, you know, that's where you're on top of the flag. You know, the ball came out before the knee and they didn't, re, you know, call it a turnover. That's not going to New York and there's clear recovery. So there's, there's some that become um, a little bit easier, if you will. And then there's, look, there's some subtle ones, you know, was there 11 on the field or 12? Well, I don't want to review a, a five yard penalty maybe, or if it's late in the game, I might, you know, and, and a lot of it, uh, is, is just deciding, you know, when you want to apply it. How many different people do you have watching those replay reviews? And, and what's the process for getting an efficient recommendation to you as to whether or not you should challenge a play? Yeah, that's the $6 million question. I, I think at home games, you know, there's two upstairs looking, you know, offensively and defensively. Both have their eyes on it. And generally speaking, over the years, when, when you hear them saying, throw the flag, throw the, you know, you, you hear this overwhelming, you know, get it out. You, you know that they've seen what, what you haven't seen yet. And um, when it's crickets and it's kind of quiet, you know, it's like, uh, you know, that <laughs> then you're kind of weighing what you felt you saw on the field and then what's going to be the benefit of the review. Now, in away games, you know, you're relying on where the cameras are up or where the television monitors are up in the booth. That can vary per stadium. Um, if it's going to benefit you, I mean, certainly you're not going to see it right away on the Jumbotron, you know, that each stadium still to this day is, is wise enough generally to, to, to at least slow that process down. So you're trusting the guys upstairs for the obvious, the obvious ones. But do you have one person who ultimately has the responsibility for giving you the up or down, or you just rely upon just the the collection, the consensus that you're hearing or I'm not hearing through the, the headset? I'm making the decision, and then I'm I'm relying on the enthusiasm. 
<laughs> you know, the, 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 I'm relying on what it sounds like. Now, that being said, it, it, I probably a number of times have gotten kind of a tempered answer. They're not quite sure. I mean, they're looking at it and say, coach, it's going to be, and I might throw it. Uh, but generally I get a, a quick feed and feel from, from Joe or uh, the guys over on defense. Hey, one thing I do in this business is a calendar that has different points that pop up and there's a flow to it. There's a rhythm to it. And you know, when the trade deadline's coming up, there's stories to pursue, you know, when the London games are being played, Hey, let's get the quote about possibly moving a team. And it's become an annual right of the season where at some point every year, somebody says this may be Sean Payton's last year in new Orleans. We haven't gotten that yet. When are we going to get that report? Well, I don't think we're going to get that report. I think that, uh, <laughs> look, this has been, um, a fantastic place for me to work. Uh, it's an environment that I think, uh, we've done a real good job of creating for the players here. Um, and we've got, uh, I, I think, a, a real good young team. I mean, we've got a lot of young players that are playing and gaining a lot of, uh, you know, valuable experience. And, you know, I'm healthy uh, and energetic and feel uh, excited and, and obviously excited we're winning games. But um, I, I enjoy teaching, and, and that's what we do as coaches, and, and this is a, a perfect place to do that. Hey, you know, I could keep going for another hour or longer, but I don't play the Bills on Sunday. So I, I'm going to say thank you very much for your time. Good luck Absolutely. this weekend, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Mike. Thanks again to Sean Payton. A solid 18 minutes on a day when he otherwise has things that he should be doing. Getting ready to coach his team against the Buffalo Bills. But thanks for some of his time. And as he pointed out, you win six games in a row, you get to six and two. The media requests come in. We thank the Saints for making him available. They could easily say no. We thank them for saying yes. I'm saying yes now to answering some of your questions. Here's what I do. I put the call out there and then I open up reluctantly the tweet and I start scrolling to see what questions may be lurking. I see 22 responses today and I'm a little bit nervous about what I'm going to find here. So at, at liter a cola, otherwise known in call as Colin McGinty, is it true? If you don't use it, you lose it. I, I, I guess that's true. Uh, Jeremy York wants to know what sort of compensation Jacoby Brissett would garner on the open market for the Colts. I don't think you trade him. I don't think you move on from Jacoby Brissett, who's under contract for two more years at a very reasonable salary until you are 100% sure that Andrew Luck is your guy. And even then, you hold him until maybe the fourth year. You do a Jimmy Garoppolo, Ryan Mallett type of a trade. You keep him around until you're going to lose him via free agency, and then you move on from Brissett. But I, I would not trade him this offseason. I would not trade him until I see Andrew Luck playing like Andrew Luck used to play. Jeremy York has another question, so I'll answer it. How far-fetched is the notion of Dak as an MVP this season? I say not that far, getting smaller every week. I, Well, he's going to have his opportunity. He definitely has his opportunity. Because last year, whether it was MVP, which was... There was some talk, but as a rookie, it's hard to be that good that you're an MVP candidate. But between Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, which guy was more important? This year, no Ezekiel Elliott for six weeks. This is Prescott's opportunity to step up and get it done and be the guy who would get some MVP consideration. So right now, it's a little far-fetched. If they win their next six games or five of their next six and Prescott is 
on fire the whole time, then I think he's a viable candidate. It all comes down to looking at the best teams, the teams with the one seed and the two seed, and is there a great quarterback with a a it doesn't have to be record setting, but just the best quarterback from the best teams. That's the guy who has the inside track to MVP, unless there's a running back who has a historic season or somebody else that just does something that stands out, head and shoulders above the best quarterback performance from among the best teams in the NFL. Glenn Kastergein has a question. When a player gets released like Martellus Bennett did, are teams allowed to contact him and assess his injury status before putting a waiver claim in? I don't think they are. I think you just put in the claim. And if he passes the physical, he does. If he doesn't, he goes back to waivers. I don't think you're allowed to. I, I don't think you're allowed to contact him. I, I, I don't think you're allowed to do that. I'm not sure, but you know, you can't, he's not a free agent. He's not free and clear until the waiver process ends. I think the typical approach is you don't contact him, but then you know, wink, nod, hypothetical communications. People can find things out. People get an idea. It's smart to get an idea before you just throw out that that uh, lifeline on a guy because you, you don't want to get embarrassed by any transaction and you get your fans' hopes up. Oh, we're getting Martellus Bennett. Oh, no, we're not. We'll see, though. He has to pass a physical. You can't give him the physical until you submit the waiver's claim and he shows up at your facility. At Cool Hawk Fan wants to know which rookie receiver breaks out in the second half of the season. I'd say Kenny Galladay if he ever comes back from that hamstring injury. He had two touchdown receptions week one. I drafted him on my fantasy team. I was all impressed with myself, but I left him on the bench week one. And then I started playing him and never did anything again. Now he's been hurt for like five straight weeks. But if he can get healthy, and when you look at what Marvin Jones is doing in Golden Tate, Eric Ebron to a lesser extent, you throw Galladay, Galladay, I always get that wrong. Galladay like holiday. You throw Galladay into the mix on a holiday like Thanksgiving and maybe you can have a big game. All right, next next question. Yeah, it's damn 280 characters. It's a long question. I haven't read these yet. These are not pre-screened, and the answers show. With Teddy coming back and most likely going to get some starts eventually, has there been a team that started three different quarterbacks multiple games and won the Super Bowl? The Vikings aren't going to win the Super Bowl. How great will it be when the Vikings do it in their home stadium? It's not going to happen. Can I get a witness at PA on the mic? Look, I can't rule the Vikings out at this point, but it really would be stunning if the Vikings would win the Super Bowl with three different starting quarterbacks. I, one of the Dolphins years, didn't they have Earl Morrill and Bob Greasy? And and I remember the Steelers had like Terry Hanratty and Joe Gillum and Terry Bradshaw, but I don't think that happened in 74. I'd have to go back and look. Shouldn't be that hard to do. I can't recall a recent team that has started more than two quarterbacks. I remember the, the Giants in Super Bowl 25. Phil Simms got injured and Jeff Hotstetler came in and won it. And I'm sure there have been seasons where maybe the the quarterback misses a game either because they've clinched everything or because the quarterback has a short-term injury, right? In 2010, didn't Aaron Rodgers miss a game with a concussion? I vaguely recall. I know he missed a game with a concussion. I vaguely recall it was 2010. But three starting quarterbacks, I don't know that that's been done. We will take a look at that. that. That will become the idea for a post at profootballtalk.com, assuming that Teddy Bridgewater does indeed become a starting quarterback. At the great Jim Duba wants to know, should I get my Eagles Super Bowl champion tattoo now? Sure, go ahead. Fine, do it. Do it. You want to put something permanent on your body? Go ahead. Go ahead. Didn't somebody have a Tennessee Titans division champions tattoo last year? 
It's like something ridiculous. Like not, It was like their whole arm. Hey, whatever you want to put on your body for the rest of your life, subject to it being removed in a painful process with the ever-present risk of infection and hepatitis, be my guest. At Terry Gensler has an intriguing question. I'm not sure I'm going to answer this, but I'll pass it along. What franchises do you have the best relationships with? It's not really franchises as much as it's individuals. You know people. You know people better than others. Now, some teams are better about getting you information. Some teams are better about getting you guests. Some teams are better about getting back to you. But I think that's not necessarily a reflection on my relationship with them. I think that's a reflection on how they relate to the media generally. For example, the Broncos are great, and it's not just with us. The Eagles are excellent. It's not just with us. The Eagles have a great text message system that sends out all transactions the, the instant they happen. The Bills are, are much improved now that Derek Boyko, who used to be with the Eagles, see, here's the danger. I start mentioning people, and then, oh, what, why didn't you mention me? Other teams, I feel like the PR is willing, but the PR doesn't have the juice to get you the coach, to get you the GM, to get you an owner. They say they try. Maybe they just aren't trying. And then there are some teams that we don't even bother anymore, like the Packers. I, I got no problem calling them out. We, we just don't even bother to try. See, the Packers are so used to having a local media that essentially cheerleads that if you're in the national media and you are anything other than pro Packers, you hate the Packers. So they start to give you guff. Well, you know, human nature is, hey, if you're going to treat me like I'm on the shit list, eventually I'm going to act accordingly. And I've said that to several teams over the years. I mean, what, what's the point in having, even trying to have a good relationship if you're not going to help me out? I'm here to promote your team. I'm here to give your team exposure. We have a platform. We have a significant digital platform. And even though plenty of people in the media will not admit this without the administration of sodium pentothal. We have one of the most powerful and influential platforms in all of media because all the media reads what we write and all the teams read what we write. And if we could ever saturate the fan base out there the way that we've saturated the industry, we'd have 10 times the traffic that we do. And, you know, I, I treat guests on my show like guests in my home. But, and yeah, you know what? Sometimes we tell the truth. Sometimes we criticize where criticism is warranted. Sometimes we point out that Ben McAdoo's got a goofy-looking hairdo. It's not my fault. So, I don't know. I probably said more than I should. I probably shouldn't have said shit. This is a family program. Oops. <laughs> At a Red Zone Alk. See, don't, don't you enjoy this podcast a lot more than PFT Live? The problem is I get used to that here. And then I do PFT Live, and I'm going to let an expletive fly, and I'm going to get fired, which I'm sure you're all hoping for. At, at a Red Zone Alk, will Jerry Jones lead the pack towards having the NFL have an independent arbitrator for discipline? I, I don't think so, because I, even Jones realizes you don't want to start giving up your power without something in return. And this is a significant item of power that they have over the NFL Players Association. And uh, I, I even with as upset as Jones is, I don't think he wants the NFL to surrender power without getting a quid pro quo. At Jay Reistad, why won't you and PA on the mic bring back the Boom and Bloom podcast? We do it every week on his radio show. We did it last year every week, but it, it, it's just hard to schedule. Some Tuesdays he was available, some days he wasn't. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of it's shtick. I like him, and you know, he, I, I can fight with him for 15 minutes a week and, and, and act like we're battling a little bit. And sometimes it does become a real battle. I can't do it every week. 
I can't. And I'm sure he can't do it every week. I'm sure he can only deal with me for 15 minutes at a clip. Speaking of that, at B. Nordenstrom, why do my parents fight every night? Okay, nice question. Uh, let's see. How many Zeke questions will you be getting now? Plenty. Plenty. That was from at Romocop999. At Griff1119, too risky to play three players from Minnesota against Washington Solid D? Probably. He's got Adam Thielen, Jarek McKinnon, and, and Kyle Rudolph. Probably. Probably. Uh, let's see. At I am Carl Thomas, the New York Jets will be in the playoffs in two years, yes or no? Uh, yes. I'll say yes. And if I'm wrong, uh, I'm very impressed by your ability to reach back two years in time and prove me wrong. Um, I, and, and you know what? I, I used a gif of, of a guy who says I have several questions on this tweet and, and some, I had no idea that this guy is a YouTube star named John Tron who has made inappropriate comments about immigration and rates. I've never heard of this guy. So, uh, yeah, now that we are, um, done with the, uh, the answering of the questions, I'm going to go ahead and delete this tweet because I had no idea that this guy was a turd. He's a turd. See you later, John Tron, whoever the hell you are. All right. See you later, audience. Well, I know who you are. You are the best listeners out there because you've made it to the end of the podcast. And and if you are still listening, remember, remember, go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, review the podcast. Be honest. I'm not asking you to give a great review. I'm just counting on the fact that you're not still listening because you hate this. I'm, I'm hedging my bets here. I'm going out on a limb that if you still hear the words coming out of my mouth at this point, you like it and you will react accordingly. The more reviews, and I don't understand this algorithm about what, what, how podcasts get noticed, and, but apparently the more reviews, the better off you are. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be unabashed and shameless in asking you, please, if you're listening now, let me know you're listening by rating the podcast. Thank you. Tomorrow we'll get you ready for week 10. Yes, it's already week 10. We'll react to the Thursday night game. We'll see whatever's up with Ezekiel Elliott, whatever the hell Jerry Jones is doing next. Any and all developments in the NFL coming tomorrow on PFTPM, PFT Live. Tomorrow with a full week 10 preview, Chris Sims will be in studio. He will threaten violence against me, and I can only hope he'll forget by Monday because he's not real bright. And Stats, who's not real bright, will be annoying us all. And I'll tell him to shut up at least five times. So check us out there. Check us out at the PFTM Podcast. Thanks for some of your time. See you tomorrow. You can find the PFTPM Podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 